listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is a very long edition of PSG Small Talk for Sunday, February 17th, 2019. On today's show, I will be joined by Jean Olangi and Eduardo Razo as we cover all possible angles of PSG's 2-0 victory over Manchester United at Old Trafford. Now, before we get into that, I would like to just give a little bit of a word to the game that Happened today on the 17th. PSG went to Saint-Étienne to take on Saint-Étienne. And I thought that that was a very classic Italian-style, grinded-out, get-the-goal-you-need, don't-give-the-other-team-anything. I barely think Ariola had any kind of real serious work to do, but it was an impressive effort in that sense. Again, you're not with, uh, you're without Neymar, you're without Kylian Mbappe, it's, sorry, let me just say that again, you're not, you're without Neymar, you're without Cavani, it's not going to be an offensive clinic, but what I think is being proven here is that PSG are learning how to win, and under Unai Emery, they did not learn how to win. Under um, Laurent Blanc, they did not learn how to win. And I mean learn how to win in any sort of situation. On the road, when you're not particularly performing well, to come out and to just get the result. Not draw, not have some sort of, you know, 1-0 loss or 2-1 loss where you concede penalties and it looks like a looks like a slapdash effort in performance. I mean a real f you know a real good mentality, a real good effort. I thought they came out with about the best lineup they could in that situation and since it's end did a good job of closing off the middle and not allowing Kylian Mbappe to really get going, not allowing Di Maria to get going. Draxler struggled a bit in this game because they were closing down his space. In general, it was a very, very strong defensive performance from Saint-Étienne from the beginning of this game. And PSG matched them. I did not really see at any point Paris Saint-Germain looking shaky on the defensive end. They looked like a team that pretty much had it covered. And except for maybe a couple of blips here and there, nothing where you would say that PSG looked out of sort. They didn't look overwhelmed. They didn't look like their young players defensively were making errors. We didn't look like Silva was Silva was once again Thiago Silva. Marquinhos is maybe the best player on this team right now, and that's not an exaggeration. And you gotta say. This is some really good momentum building from a team that is learning how to win. And they got into the second half, and I thought Tomas Tuchel did something smart. He had played with Danny Alves on the wing for most of the first half and all of the first half and most of the second. What he did was he brings on Dagba to play right back and Kozawa to play on the left side, which allows Diaby to push further up, which allowed Danny Alves to push inside. They took off Juan Bernat, which I thought was smart because he wasn't uh, having a great game, and he could have been sent off with a second yellow, but I would say it's borderline. He was going for the ball. He didn't reach in for the challenge. 
that could have gone either way. Benoit Bastion's not exactly a great, um, he's not exactly a great referee, so it's kind of a crapshoot when you're dealing with Benoit Bastion. So, at this point, you bring on those two guys and it allows Danny Alves to come inside. And that is one of the reasons why they were able to get that goal because Danny Alves was able to pinch back inside. He gets the ball off of a turnover. He lofts it over the defense, killing Mbappe one touch volley into the left corner of the net. And it's one nil Paris Saint-Germain. And at that point it was pretty much ball game because PSG did not allow Saint-Étienne to breathe to get room and I, I was very impressed I, ha- I have to say I, I was very impressed with this performance so where do we go from here now we have four games left until they play Manchester United again in the second leg of the Champions League round of 16. And they're going to have to use these games to get themselves mentally ready, physically ready, not lose a bunch of guys to injuries. They got out of this game relatively injury-free. So that's obviously a positive. And I'll say right now, PSG's got PSG's got some really nice momentum going. So I'm not going to talk too long here on this uh, on this update on this little intro here. Um, I will send it to the interview with John Alonghi and Eduardo Raza. Why am I even calling it an interview? It's more of just a nice conversation with us three talking about the uh, talking about the big match on Tuesday. So sit back and enjoy. So on Monday, going into the first. Uh, first leg of this round of 16 tie against Manchester United. PSG were without their best player in Neymar, their most prolific goal scorer in their history in Edinson Cavani. Thomas Meunier had gotten a concussion. Um, I, I could, I could keep going in all of the, with all the misfortune that PSG was facing on Monday. And somehow, and surprising to some, not as surprising to others, that completely turned around on Tuesday. PSG defeated Manchester United on the road 2-0. Manchester United not only lost, they lost their best player, Paul Pogba, to a uh, double yellow, so he will not play in the second leg. And two of their best attacking players, Anthony Martial and Jesse Lingard, look like they might be out for the second leg as well. So, John... How in 24 hours do we go from Man- it's Manchester United's tie to lose to this thing's pretty much over? Well, it's, it's, it's how life works, man. It's football. Football is so cruel sometimes. And uh, kind of what's been happening this year for PSG, things are, are starting to turn our way, you know. Uh, it used to be those situations would happen to us and similar situation and, and different situations. We would get the short end of the stick. But, you know, it, coming into it, it's for me, it's like don't underestimate your opponent, even if your opponent is better than you, right? And I say that because, yes, we were depleted and things were happening that I was out of Thomas Tuchel's uh, control. 
But at the end of the day, when when Neymar left, we were still the better team. When Cavani got injured, yes, there's doubt, but we're still the better team. And I think throughout the game, it continued to show that all all in all, we were the better team. And, you know, I think the doubt that came from PSG fans was the kind of the demons that we've been battling, particularly in the Champions League over the years, more so than anything. That's what, what our fear was, if there was any. But in terms of the talent on the pitch, we knew we were better. The guys just had to show up and put in the work. And they did more than that. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing, man. It's like the, the pendulum, eventually the pendulum swings and it just swung in a, in a, in a matter of a 90-minute match. And it was it was, uh, it was was fascinating to watch just how everything went about. And uh, you, you, I watched the game on TNT and then I rewatched the game a day later on the BT Sport. Um, feed and you know with the British commentators and you can just hear how they <laughs> they really wanted the game to go differently and it just didn't happen for them so uh, it was a fascinating win and obviously we'll get into more details over it but um, it kind of just shows that this team under Thomas Tuchel is just different like there's it's like it's hard to explain and pinpoint exactly what it is but he's definitely injected uh, a confidence in this team that we haven't seen uh, under the QSI era. This was a this was a ninety minute reality check for two teams. Yeah, I think we've we have um, as PSG fans always had this sort of Champions League fear, phobia, anxiety. I'd say more of an anxiety, and yeah. Yeah. I don't think this win completely takes that away because, as I was saying for two months. I never bought into Manchester United to begin with. And we'll get into detail on why that was and all that as we go. But I would say this was, I wouldn't say expected. I don't think we expected PSG to be this dominant. But I definitely didn't expect them to lose. And I definitely didn't expect them to look like a team that was overmatched. So, Eddie... Going into the game, did you think that PSG would look overmatched? And coming out of the game, were you? What was your level of surprise? Like, because I'm curious, because I was, I was pleasantly surprised, but I wasn't like shocked. Yeah, um, I had more optimism than than some after the Neymar and Cavani injury. I, I, I mean, I think you said it that. Um, United only has about two world-class players in David De Gea and Paul Pogba. The rest are just very good Premier League players. Um, so I wasn't too, you know, obviously I had some anxiety just because, you know, the past has, has, uh, traumatized us all. But I thought that even without Cavani and Neymar, they would still at least get a draw or at least put up a fight. And when those 90 minutes happened, I was, Surprised by who stepped up. Like, obviously I was expecting Kylian Mbappe to have a, a really good game, and he did, but I wasn't expecting, you know, Marquinhos to pocket Pogba to, for, for Angel Di Maria to step up, you know, and go into an old, uh, his former club and, and perform like the way he did. And, you know, like it was an all around good performance by almost everybody in, on the, on the squad. So, you know, it was a group effort and, you know, and they just bullied United, you know, they gave them a reality check that no other Premier League club has uh, done so under Schulzeiser. Yeah, and it's, 
I think it's interesting to uh, rewatch that game because I watched it at the bar and then I rewatched it the next morning um, on you know the Bleacher Report live, and it was really clear that PSG had the better players. Like, it's not. When you watch the two teams play against you, sometimes it's difficult because you watch the two teams on separate tracks and you see Manchester United playing so well and, you know, beating these Premier League teams pretty easily. They beat Tottenham 2-1. to They beat Arsenal in the FA Cup. And it's sometimes you get sort of lost in watching that and then watching PSG on their track. And seeing them uh, struggle a little bit against some teams, lose to Lyon, lose to Villefranche, not lose to Villefranche, but like not score on them for a hundred minutes, and then you know barely beat Bordeaux on the Saturday before. And if you watch them on separate tracks, you think that Manchester United are clearly the team with more momentum, but I don't think momentum matters in Champions League. I don't think. Being in form, per se, matters. I think what matters is having the better players. And when you look at this game, I thought that you can't say that any of the Manchester United players were better than any of the PSG players. And I don't want to kind of simplify that, but this is sort of a simplification of it. The tactics were better also. We'll get into that. We're just kind of getting into an overview now. But player for player, PSG had the advantage. They had the advantage at the wingback positions. They had the advantage at the fullback positions. They had the better center backs. They had the better midfielders. They had the better attacking players. They had the better striker. The only position where you could say that Manchester United had the better player in the game was goalkeeper. And the only reason you can say that is because Gianluigi Buffon didn't have to do anything the entire match. So when you look at it that way, it's pretty obvious that PSG should do what they were, what they did. And I want to kind of start with how they, and again, this isn't tactical genius by Tomas Tuchel. It's, it's stuff that, you know, other coaches would think about. Like, it's not this sort of, he's thinking, he's rethinking the wheel. He's just doing smart, intelligent things that good coaches should be able to do. But there's something about him that get, does the other part of coaching, and I'm kind of rambling here, but he does that other part too, which is he puts, he puts in the tactical plan, John, but then he also gets the players to execute that plan almost to the best degree possible. Yes, absolutely. And and I thought about this uh, as well right after the game where it was like, yes, this was like a too cool master class, as the kids were saying, and he, he did a, a phenomenal job in doing that. But for me, it wasn't like if Pep Guardiola, if Manchester City had United on their schedule prior to the PSG, I'm sure a manager with the quality of Pep and the intelligence of Pep would have done the same thing in terms of, like, tactically, like, something as simple as, like, it's, it's the Bill Belichick uh, mindset where I'm going to take take away your best player and your best threat, which is Paul Pugman, and this is what Thomas Tuchel done. So I don't think it was, like, this, you know, extremely um, intricate uh, tactical decision, but it was just, 
if you're a, a top quality manager, this is what you're going to do in this situation. And then that shows why the, the Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer isn't this coach that United fans and, and English fans think that he is. And for me, more so than anything, that's what was transparent in that. I wasn't really as, as concerned with the match because they're, they're playing these teams that they're, you know, they're Manchester United. They're supposed to beat. They have better quality. But when you, when it, you go up to a level in the Champions League, it's going to be different. And, and that's just what it comes down to at the end of the day. And he got out coached by a better coach. And, and that's simply what happened. So for me, um, I think with the, with, uh, with, with your question and the confidence that Tuku has instilled in this team, it started from day one. It started from from the jump when he got here, and we read the reports that he's asking Thiago Silva and Mark Verratti to lose weight. He's asking certain players to put on weight. He wants to know where they hang out uh, when they're not at practice, and all these things. All those things is what led up to to the players buying in to um to, to his system and, and and instilling that confidence in him. And that's why Marquinhos is one of the most fascinating uh, projects, per se, for Thomas Tuchel this season. And we watched what he has been able to do up until that match. So I think, for me, the what Tuchel has done with this team is instill that confidence from day one and all the hugging and, and being friendly and, and, and still being stern with them. I think that goes a long way. And we've seen the quotes from Neymar and saying how much – he loves Tuchel and all these things. You can't take any of this lightly because it's it's not only what these players are saying, but as we saw on Tuesday, it's transparent and this has transferred onto the pitch as well. It's it's not enough to just draw a game plan, put it on a board, and have your players go out and execute it. There has to be a level of confidence in your manager, but also a level of trust. And with Marquinhos, it's about trust. He trusts Thomas Tuchel to put him in positions where he can succeed as a player. He's going from being a center back pretty much his whole time at PSG to being a defensive midfielder and a critical, you know, a critical part of the game plan. Like, if he is not able to contain Paul Pogba and that experiment fails, this game will look very, this game would have looked different. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it's because Marquinhos bought into what he's being asked to do in this case that allows Tuchel to activate all the other things that he wants to do. And we can have the conversation about whether they got enough defensive midfielders or midfielders in the transfer deadline, but be honest, would you rather Idrissa Gay playing in that game, or would you have rather Marquinhos playing in that game? Like, sometimes it is about just getting the places, getting the pieces you have in place to do the job that they are capable of doing, as opposed to sort of putting people in situations to fail, it's putting people in positions to succeed. And Eddie, he put Tuchel put Marquinhos in a position to succeed, and he also put players like Angel Di Maria and Julian Draxler in situations to succeed. He's also put players like Tilo Carrer in positions to succeed. This is not um, this is not a new phenomenon here, and you'd have to say that of, out of all the PSG players, 
I can't name one that has been made worse or has been put in a situation to make them less effective under Tomas Tuchel. No, I mean, he's uh, he's pushing the right buttons on all players. We see that they're buying in. Um, Marquinhos is playing uh, a central defensive midfield position. You have uh, Danny Alves playing either wing-back or up front um, in the attack. You have Carrick switching from center-back to right-back or right-back to center-back. Um, so he's he's uh he's pushing the right buttons and people are buying what he's selling on on the team and I think everybody has that level of trust with him that I don't think they had last season with you know Unai Emery and previous you know head coaches and so I mean it's it's I think it's a breath of fresh air that we have a a, a coach that can you know like I said push the right buttons switch tactics when they need to be switched and just uh, Make you know, make make correct decisions. Have a game plan, and I'm starting to, you know, not blindly trust him. But I, I every time he you know he does or makes a move, I always believe there's a reason behind it. Yeah, and you're not always going to agree with the decisions a coach makes. You just you have to have a trust that in you know if he's going to make a hundred decisions, that ninety percent of them are right. Like, that to me is a good rate for the most part. Make sure he's right on the big ones and that most he has a pretty good rate of just sort of, you know, making the right call at the right time. Yeah. And this was a game that they stalemated United in the first half. And a lot of that was the, the isolation of Paul Pogba, the covering of Paul Pogba, but also... They never allowed Manchester United to get down the wings with any sort of efficiency. And it, they forced the ball into Luke Shaw's foot, into Ashley Young's foot. There weren't any situations. There were a couple of nice counters in the first half from United, but nothing, nothing deadly, nothing where you sat there and went, oh, PSG are in a lot of trouble. Now, John, I, I think that came from the discipline here. And it's part of what I think is maybe the most surprising thing about this Tuchel run so far, which is this PSG team is building from the back in the sense that they're, they're making sure defensively that they are sound. And more than in years past where PSG was a team that liked to attack and liked to be aggressive and would expose themselves in the back to counters and be ripped apart at times. Uh, you know, just watching the last two, you know, the two years of Unai Emery, this PSG team was not very good defensively in big matches. They weren't great defensively in the Laurent Blanc era in big matches. This seems different. It seems like there's a a concerted effort to play defense first and to allow that to give you give yourself control of the game. And I consider possession in the midfield part of your effort defensively because it keeps the ball away from the opponent and you can't turn the ball over in your own end. And that's something that PSG are not doing as much of anymore. Yeah, and that, that, that discipline that you're talking about has been transparent, particularly in the, 
in our big matches, which obviously have been the Champions League and Liverpool, Napoli, and then uh, against Manchester United. I think it, it comes down to uh, Tuchel understanding where to put his best players and where to put players and 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 how and, and putting them in the best position for them to, to, to thrive, right? Like Thiago Silva is having one of the best years of his entire career uh, this year. And for me, it simply comes down to who he has around him and where they're playing. This has been a back two. It's been a back four. So it's two center backs for the last however many years. And he's been lined up with David Luiz, for God's sake, right? And he's been lined up with uh, a young Marquinhos who wasn't as talented as he is now. And a young Presnel Kipembe. Now he has uh, a mature Kipembe. And then he has uh, a Tilo Carroll who's wise beyond his his, um, his age. And where he has them, it allows Thiago Silva to play a comfortable game where he can be that organizer and is not always having to bail out someone. Yeah. And that allows the team to have that structure. And then you see Tuka on the sideline. Telling them to press up when 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 they start re- 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 retrieving a little bit, he telling them to come up a little bit and not play so deep. So uh, for me, like that that's that's the base of everything. Where your leader, even Buffon as the goalkeeper, that that that, that leadership mentality is just transferring and resonating to the entire team. And you know, United fans, they can make the case, oh. Uh, United start playing bad when Lingard and Martial went off. No, 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 no. Tilo Kerr had Martial on lock that entire first half. Anytime Jesse Lingard tried to make a play into the middle, it was on lock. Thiago Silva was there. Even when he, he went on to Presnel Kipembe's side, who was having a terrible first half. And that's an interesting thing about his game where he was making dumb mistakes, but he was still making like the most important saves and, and, and blocks that entire uh, that entire first half, yeah. and um, and again going back to what you, we were talking about a little bit earlier about the trust, like we all wanted President Elkipemba to come out that game, <laughs> right? Like it was like get him out the game before he he loses. And I was like, if if, if Kipemba gets another yellow, it's not gonna it's not even gonna be his fault. It's gonna be on Thomas Tuchel. Like you know he's playing, he's living on the edge right now. Yeah. But no, he he continued to trust him. And I'm pretty sure in the locker room he told him, like, yo, you're having a terrible game, and I have every reason to take you out right now, but I'm not because I trust you, and I understand how important Marquinhos and Verazzi's partnership is, and that's what he would have to do. He would have to take out Marquinhos and put him back in the center back. Yeah, so that would have been all the of that things. Yeah. The, yes, pro- yeah. the problem would have been if you took out Kimpanda, you would have had to go on to a straight back four. And right. PSG were playing a Back three in, 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 uh, like they were playing a back three in the attack. So it would be Carer, um, it would be Carer, Kimpembe, and Silva in the back three when PSG had the ball, which allowed them to sort of neutralize counters because when you lose the ball immediately, you're still in a back three. And then right. once Man United were able to get some sort of possession, you change that to a back four and you play more of a 4-4-2. Which yep. is why if you lose Kimpembe, and this is sort of an issue that is going to be, I think, ongoing, if Presnel Kimpembe can't be on the field against these good teams because he just can't pass, and his problem right now is he just can't pass out of the back. Like he's Absolutely. And, yeah. and if he can't be in the game, that really does harm to what Tuchel wants to do because when PSG were playing a straight back four, 
in the games, in the early stage of the Champions League, they were getting ripped apart. And they were able to sort of go into this sort of 3-4-3, hybrid thing that they're doing right now, which is way more effective than what anything they were doing before. So I just, I, I also have to say too that it's, I've had my Tiago Silva, I guess, uh, grievances just, you know, over the years, but it is clear that when he's not being sort of challenged, like Unai Emery went in there and there was friction between, you know, the captain of the team and the head coach. And when there's friction like that, it's really hard for the team to mold and gel into something because it's always going to be factional in that way. When you, when you have a power struggle at the top, there's going to be sides taken. And I think that's what happened in the last couple of years. Silva and Emery were in this power struggle together. Now, I think Tuchel understood, like, I can't be in a power struggle with Thiago Silva. Like, I, I need to be this guy's friend. I need to be, I need him to, you know, lead my back line. And he's been doing that very well. And Eddie, this defensively is maybe the best PSG team we've had in a really long time. Because what they are able to do is essentially shut teams down. Like, even watching in League One, PSG are losing most of their games on penalties. Like, yes. they lost the Gingam game based on three penalty calls in the box, which are, were one-on-one decisions. And then they lost the game against Lyon because of a one-on-one penalty decision. Now, were those great defensive plays? No, but for the most part, they were good defensively in all of these games. They're going to be under pressure at times, but they weren't cracking. They weren't making silly, stupid mistakes. Like, this is a solid defensive team, and I that's what gives me hope going forward here. Yeah. Um, just to go back to the United game, I, 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 when I watched it the second time, I realized that they only gave up one shot on target, and I think that was like early in the game, like eight minutes in, it was Marcus Rashford um, getting a shot on, on Buffon, and after that, it was just PSG just clamped down defensively, and they didn't give up, you know, any you know, high danger scoring chances to United. And I think we're starting to see a, a consistency defensively. Like you said, they're not losing games by their own doing. Uh, it's mostly just one-on-one, you know, penalties that, you know, are up to the, are in the ref's hands. And, you know, and he decides whether or not to, to, to award the opponent either a penalty or not. And so far, I'm starting to love what I see defensively. Like you said, Mark, um, Marquinhos is starting to be more of a, uh, you know, a vital piece in the in the midfield. Silva is looking rejuvenated. Carrer is, you know, commanding that right back position. Position, um, and I think they're they're able to hide uh, Bernard's, you know, defensive deficiencies. Yeah, I want to actually, I just actually want to ask you about that because I thought that was really critical too. Because yeah. what what they did, which I think was really smart was they played Danny Alves as a right winger. And what that allowed them to do was play Alves in the midfield and in the attack, pretty much keep Tilo Kerr back as a as a as a center back. 
So he was playing on the right side, but he wasn't asked to go forward. So Alves pretty much did, they pretty much played two right backs on that yeah. right side. Alves was able to play the offensive part and do the, and put the crosses in and do the, the pressing. And Carer was able to sit back and do the intercepting and the defending. And then they were able to play that back three and that allowed Juan Bernat to get forward as a left back without being exposed on the back end because Kimpembe was playing out wide. I thought, and I think, that Terror and Bernat, playing the way they're playing right now, complementing each other so well, is a critical part of all of this. And I asked you, Eddie, is that sustain? Is it sustainable to, to play in that style where you have Care being a right back, he's not really a right back, but he does some of the right back stuff with Alves up front doing the other half of the right back job, and then Juan Bernat getting forward and attacking. I think that's been working really well. It worked well against Liverpool, and it's worked really well against United. Yeah, I, it's, you know, when I saw the starting lineups, I, I was kind of confused as to why, you know, Danny Alves was, you know, pretty much like a white, you know, right wing, right back, or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it worked. Um, you know, there's always a, a method to Tuchel's madness. But um, I think if, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, they can roll it out again and see um, in the second leg and see if it, if it works again. I mean, it's it's working. So I think, you know, for the meantime, they'll, they'll continue to roll with, with that. And, you know, Juan Bernat, you know, like I said, he has defensive, you know, defensive issues, but, you know, there's times where he'll step up. Like we saw, um, the second goal, you know, he had the key pass to, um, Di Maria, who set, who, uh, would set up, um, Mbappe for the, for the dagger goal. And so I think if we can protect Bernat, um, on the defensive side, then I think I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, and John, Juan Bernat has been, I think, the steel signing that PSG never get. Like, PSG, I don't remember the last time you could say PSG got a steal in the transfer window. But, like, there's a reason, there's a reason that Pep Guardiola liked this guy. There's a reason that he brought him to Bayern Munich. It's not because he couldn't play. Like, if we think Pep Guardiola is this genius of football, and he saw something in Juan Bernat, clearly there's something in Juan Bernat. And I think what we're seeing with him is he's a gifted offensive fullback who can pinch in and see where he was in the in, on the second goal. He came inside as a midfielder, took the ball, turned, and made that really quick pass to Di Maria, keeping Di Maria onside in the process. Like, that is a, a real bit of skill and timing that you want somebody playing left back to have. And that's just something that Laven Krizawa is just not going to give you. Like, it's pretty clear now that for 5 million euros, PSG have gotten a starting left back. Now, will they go in the transfer window and look for another left back to compliment or not? I think so. I think you have to, but I think Juan Bernat has played well enough that he's earned the right to have that starting role. 
and have someone, you know, take it from him as opposed to, like, you know, forcing him into sort of sharing time with somebody. Like, this guy's a good player. Yeah, he's he's extremely just very much plays on the edge, right? Like he's he has that that, that little man complex that Verratti has almost where yeah, I'm smaller than you, but I'm going to work hard as hell and I'm going to work harder than you. And you can't teach that type of uh quality. And one thing we can't forget and you you know, not to sound stereotypical or anything, but like he's a Spanish football player, right? Like he he has that like he's a he's a he plays um What's the word I'm looking for? Like, he has quality, right? Yeah. Like, he's not just a left back who make, puts in the passes. Like, he, his ball control is fantastic. Like, the way he just spins around and, 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 and stops on the dime and makes very just intricate, smart passes. Like, he's a quality football player. And obviously he has his, uh, defensive deficiencies, not only because he's short, but because he's, he's not the biggest guy. He's not going to be physical. And to your point about, like you said, pet, obviously saw something in him and you know obviously I think they got Jordy uh, what's his name David Alaba yeah. who came in and you know he's considered world class so you know that whatever happens happened but for me it comes down to like Krizawa has to go no matter how we feel about him this is two seasons we've seen someone who quote unquote is deemed lesser of a quality come in and take his position whether he's healthy or not right like, and, and that for me that says more so than anything like yo these guys are coming in and outworking you, and you're supposed to be this potentially solid left back in, in European football, and they're they're outworking you. Like, so what do we do? What do we need you for? You know what I mean? So, because <laughs> that was not a Thomas Tuchel fullback either. Like, no. he's just he's not that kind of fullback. Like, he's not te- he's just not technically gifted enough to be, I think, a first option for Tuchel and. We, we'll, we'll start talking about the second half a bit, John, where PSG took control of the game. Like, first half was fine and dandy. They, they got what they needed. And I was in the bar, you know, saying to everybody, like, hey, nil-nil, I'm good with. Like, I'll take, I'll take a nil-nil game. Like, that gives us all the advantage we need. You know, we obviously got more than that. And the reason we have more than that is because of Angel Di Maria. And yeah. Yeah. this is where the, the debate sort of always takes place with PSG fans of how good is Angel Di Maria? In, uh, we've, we've had this discussion, okay, well, is he better than a replacement player of a similar, you know, a, a replace, is he, I think it's a baseball thing, Eddie, where it's like, what is your wins above replacement? Yeah. Where it's like, if you just put an average guy in there, is that better than what you get with Angel Di Maria? Some people think yes, but this is where I think, statistically, Angel Di Maria is not measurable in that in that way. Like, you have to measure him in the same way you measured, like, Ray Allen. Or the same yeah. way you measure... I'm trying to think of uh, somebody like it in football. Like... Like, a, like, like, uh, a, like Edelman, Edelman like, for the like Edelman, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the statistically, yeah. they're not always the best, but they have this ability to make the play when the play needs to be made. Uh-huh. And in this game, Angel Di Maria makes the two plays. 
like yeah. off the corner. And then this was a training ground play, by the way. I, I, watching it again, it is an absolute training ground goal. You get the three players running to the near post to distract De Gea, and then Preston Kimpembe curls off of Matic and goes to the far post. That was an absolute training ground. I don't think Kimpembe did that by instinct. I think that was something yeah. they worked on. And Di Maria puts the perfect ball. Like, you cannot play a ball better than that. Where it needed to be. And all Kimpembe had to do was just put his foot on it. He didn't have to do anything complicated, and that's his first goal, by the way, yeah. <laughs> of his PSG career. All he had to do was just put his foot on it. It was, it was delivered that well. And then, John, that second goal where he has the ball, where, Mar- where Di Maria has the ball out wide, he's making the run with it. He, Mbappe is five to ten yards behind both center backs. And Di Maria just puts a perfect little curled ball on the ground, gets past Eric Bailly, and lets Mbappe run on it. Those are two Angel Di Maria goals. And how many times does this player have to make the play when it's needed most before people just say, all right, this guy is necessary for Paris Saint-Germain and a great Paris Saint-Germain player? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you won't appreciate what you have until it's gone. It's what's going to be one of them things, maybe. Like, who knows? But day in, day out, like the guy, and, and, and I can't, I'm not even going to say day in, day out because that's the entire argument, right? Like, not every yeah. game he puts in that performance, but like you were talking about, uh, Ray Allen and, and, and Julian Edelman. It's the big games, right? Like, big players step up in big games. And it's not like we don't know that Di Maria doesn't have the quality. It's just like some some games he, he he lacks off, but you have to have him on there just for percentages because you know at any moment he can strike. Like he he had the the like at the beginning of the game, like when PSG weren't really being effective offensively, he had one of the better strikes. Even though it wasn't on goal, it it, it was dangerous if if he would have put it in uh with with, with better accuracy, but. You know, for me, it goes back to what um, they are who we thought they were, right? Like uh, uh, Manchester United. Defensively, this is a terrible team. (laughs) This is a terrible defensive team. And before the Kempembe goal, there was a we had another corner under Di Maria, Maria, and Mbappe got a head on it. Mm -hmm. And when they showed the freeze frame, I see Lindelof and Bailly just stuck. Like they're in, they're in quicksand. They're just stuck there. And Mbappe gets his head on the ball on target, but De Gea makes a great save. And right after that is when the Kipembe goal comes in. So for me, it was like, we knew that this, this, this team had a weak defense. It just, it was just a matter of time when PSG were going to, um, going to crack them open. So for me, like, and, and then that showed throughout the entire second half and that second goal, man, that's, that's pinpoint accuracy. That Di Maria uh, cross because if if Bailly keeps running, he blocks that he blocks that goal, yeah. right? He he blocks that pass from getting into Mbappe's foot. But it's somehow it just works that way where he puts it in there so accurately that whenever Bailly decides to slide, it just misses him, and then Mbappe just taps it in for a brilliant goal. And you know that's what we talk about. These are the moments that weren't happening 
for PSG in the years past in Champions League. Like, those types of goals, like, we didn't have these type of chances, these type of performances. And again, it all go back, goes back to Tuchel. Again, trusting Di Maria, no matter what anybody says, he understands that Di Maria has to be on the pitch. And yeah. I also want to make, Eddie, I want to make this point about Julian Draxler because another player where he doesn't always, he, he is my favorite Paris Saint-Germain player. I, I just, I'll say it flat out. And unless they have somebody in mind that they could replace him with, he's got a contract until what, 2021? I keep him on the team next year. And I selfishly want him to be on the team forever because I just think he is one of those players that, again, stats don't tell you everything. They can tell you a lot, but they can't tell you everything. And what he did in that game spacing-wise, was just brilliant. Like, he is a... He has a supercomputer in his in his yeah. brain when it comes to football. And the way he moves... The way he moves... I don't... I, that almost sounds like a song. Like, the way he moves... I'm pretty sure that is a song. But the way... Yeah. It, but he got in between Pogba and Matic all game. And he would just be in that little space between Pogba and Matic. And when PSG won the ball, it was a one pass to Draxler, and then Draxler would turn, and there would be all this space. And he'd run into it, or he'd make that pass off to the side. He did it all game. He was in that spot all game, and he'd get the ball, he'd turn, and he'd make a pass, and PSG would be in the attack. He started about 10, 15 of those attacks in the first yeah. half just by yeah. him getting into that space and turning. And then you yeah. you talk about that first goal, just another kind of simple watch the watch the 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 not the corner, but the 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 play that led to the corner. He moves, he starts about in the middle. He he starts in the middle about at the top of the box. Takes about 5 steps back, gets the ball, turns, sprays it out to Alves, and then cuts inside of Mbappe. And Mbappe gets left wide open for that header. Every time, like, he's that guy that makes that pass. He's that hockey assist guy that makes that pass. And it doesn't always show up, statistically. And it sometimes doesn't look like he's always giving the effort. But it's not like that Adrian Rabio thing where he, where Rabio just doesn't give effort. Yeah. It's like Draxler can sometimes overthink himself and not always be confident in what he's doing. But he was yeah. incredibly valuable, Eddie, in this game. I, I can't say enough about just how smart of a player he is and how good he is at executing that game plan that Tuchel wants him to execute. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching the Spanish broadcast and some of the comments that were making um, throughout the game were like, you know, Draxler is having a a quiet game, or we haven't, you know, no. We they were doing that. Enough. They were doing that on the BT Sports. Yeah, they, they said that too. Yeah. Yeah, they were saying that, and and like you said, Mark, I went back and we watched the game, and I seen every, I, you know, I saw everything that you just said. You know, his his uh performance isn't measured stats wise. But, you know, he'll have that key pass, that hockey assist that leads up to the play, and he was doing it all night. And, 
you know, this is why I wasn't concerned um, too much with the with the drop off between you know Cavani and Neymar because we had Di Maria and Draxler who um, you you go down at least you know half of the clubs are in um, in the round of sixteen. I'm guessing half of those will take a Draxler and Di Maria, so that's why I wasn't too concerned. And we saw you know the two guys that were pretty much replacing you know the offensive production between those two. Um, you know, they stepped up and, and, you know, they, 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 they put on a performance that, you know, PSG needed from them with, with the, with the injuries that happened. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to get my Draxler appreciation there because I, I still think he's just criminally underrated as a player. Um, not, you really can't say much about Kylian Mbappe because it's pretty self-evident, but like, just his ability when, the whole Manchester United game plan was clearly set up to stop him. For him to just get that, to just get, you know what he, you know who he reminds me of? Uh, again, I know we're doing a lot of American sports references, but we're American, we're, you know, we're from the United States, so just yeah. bear, bear with us. He kind of reminds me a little of Randy Moss. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah, like, no matter what you do. Yeah. No matter what you do, he's yeah. going to get something. <laughs> Yeah. Because he's that raw skilled and that talented that you can set up your whole game plan, you can double team him, you can triple team him. And the way that Bayi and Lindelof were set up in that goal, in that second goal, they were set up to stop that run. Like, mm-hmm. notice how close they were to each other at the time. Like, they were trying to stop Mbappe from doing that exact run. But they couldn't even stop that. Like that's how good he is. He just got right between. He sprinted right between both of them. And (laughs) like it it is, it it is. It's like catching a ball over a double team. That's what he did in that goal. They double teamed that. They double teamed to make sure that play didn't happen. Di Maria makes the perfect pass, and Mbappe just splits both of them. So just you can't say enough about how good he will eventually be if he can stay, you know, if he can stay healthy and he can stay on the right path mentally, which doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. Like just a, again, a brilliant player. Does anybody want to shower more, um, shower more platitudes onto Kylian Mbappe or? Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I, going into this game, I was expecting him to take, you know, be the, you know, take charge on the offensive attack. And he did that. Like, I, I've been wanting, you know, a statement game from him where, you know, he makes it, you know, he's pretty much, you know, dangerous all 90 minutes. And to an extent he was, you know, he, he had his chances, you know, David De Gea made some, some saves on him. I know I think I've seen at least two other chances where he had an opportunity to score. One, you know, his shot went off target and the other one, De Gea, you know, he stopped his header. But, you know, he could have easily had, you know, almost three goals in the game. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, again, the guy's 20 years old, um, and he's pretty much, yeah, there's not much we can say. Like we can, we watch him day in and day out, and I mean, I'm still surprised that at 20 years old he can he can put in these kind of performances. Um, but that's it. Like that's, <laughs> I'm still just amazed by him being you know 20 and, and putting on this kind of performance. 
Yeah, my and for for Mbappe, like I remember, I tweeted out like, uh, and I got got caught a lot of slack from uh, particularly Neymar fans, not PSG fans, but <laughs> Neymar fans. Um, I said that you know we're gonna need variety more than we're yeah. gonna Neymar, and everybody lost their cool because for some reason they contextualize it as the dig on Neymar, but it wasn't. But whatever, it was it was because we know what we have, right? We have killing Mbappe. You know what I mean? And, and for me, that's where that stemmed from. Like, let's rest Neymar. We don't really need him here. We have this guy. He's 20 years old. He's better than all of their forwards put together, not just Marcus Rashford. Like, let, let, let's stop. And I hope this match puts that nonsense to rest. But, you know, it won't. But for me, like, if you visually you look at the game, the eye test will tell you that Rashford needs Paul Pogba to get that service to be effective, right? And that's why it was so brilliant by Tuchel, because everything good for United starts with Pogba, so if you take him out, they're non-existent. Killing Mbappe doesn't need that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need that, and that's the different levels of the class between all of the all of the young talent that they compare him to is, you know, this guy's on the level with the big dogs, right? Like, understand that there's levels to it. And that was the confidence for me. We don't need Neymar for this. It was because United's defense is not good, and we have Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, and that's the and that's the key. It's it's you know he's gonna get, and that's yeah. the and that's the and that's the um thing that United um fans I think in their heart of hearts know. Now they could maybe say that oh PSG have been here before and they've blown leads like this in the past, but. This is a very different kind of situation. Like, yeah, this is yeah. in no way like the situation with, um, 2017 and the Barcelona tie, where PSG, and I, and what I really think happened was they, they were so, I guess, awestruck that they beat Barcelona 4-0, that anyone yeah. beat Barcelona 4-0, especially yeah. that they beat Barcelona 4-0, that it was almost just like they didn't believe it and that they went into the camp new, not really understanding what it was going to take to hold that lead. And that once they started getting pressured and being put in danger, that I just feel like they, they didn't even believe themselves that they were better and that it was sort of inevitable. And it was basically just white knuckle, hang on till the end and, you know, whatever happened, happened. This is a very different situation. These are, this is a very different team than the one two years ago. This is a team that's been through wars, that's been playing the best teams in this Champions League competition. And I think they know they're better than Manchester United. I think they know they're at home. They've got this 2-0 lead. They don't have to win 5-0. They don't have to win 4-0. They can go out there. They can play confidently. They can play a solid defensive game. They can get a goal or two. And even if United nick a goal off of them, they're not going to panic because they know that, again, anybody uh, who's listened to this, when was the last time PSG were... I think the last time PSG were shut out at the Parc des Princes was 2016. Against... It was that... I think it was that Marseille game where they lost nil... Where they tied nil-nil in 2016. Yeah. It hasn't happened a lot. They're not getting shut out. So you'd imagine Manchester United are going to have to score three, four goals in this game to to make it up. Yeah. 
And if they can hold PSG to, to less than two, that would be an accomplishment. So, on a scale of one to ten, how worried are we about the second leg? I'm at a two right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Not I'm to get arrogant, because we've been here before, but if yeah. we're going to give our honest, objective opinion, I'd say my my uh, my worry level is about a two. Yeah, I, I'm at a one. Um, you guys mentioned there's no Pop Bogba in the second leg. He's yeah. not playing. So they're down yeah. to one world-class player in, in goal. And unless, and like we said, there's no probably no Martial, no Lingard. So, you know, United is already going to be down three, you know, three guys that can create scoring chances. And and they're just one world-class player, and, and that's it. I just don't see it. Um I mean, it's obviously it's. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, and we got burnt in 2017. But you know, that the equivalent is the equivalent of that would be if uh, you know we went to the camp now and won two nothing, and then you know Barcelona came to the park without Messi. So I think I said know, that. Different in circumstances. The, I think yeah, I, that was, that yeah, I think the, it was George. I know. I, I was. I think I wanted to say it was your tweet, but I don't know who tweeted no, that. No, I said that in the small yeah. talk. It, that's what it was. Oh, okay. that's, it's, 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 it's not my intellectual property, but yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly <laughs> what it would be like. That that's exactly yeah. what it would be like, and no one would put pick Barcelona in that situation either. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I'm. Go oh, go ahead. Words. I'm sorry. You ain't finished. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. I, I I I'm at a one. I'm not worried at all. Yeah, I'm I'm at a one as well. Like it's and it's it's not because you know United are with with Pogba. It's again like you just mentioned, Mark. This team is different. <laughs> this this team is not the same fragile, fragilely, uh, mentally fragile team that that has been in the past and. Uh, I, I, I trust that they'll be able to handle their business, even if Cavani and Neymar, well, Neymar's probably not going to play, but even if Cavani doesn't play, like, it's, like, I, 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 I don't trust their coach. Like, I'm sorry, I don't trust that their coach, I didn't trust them before that match, and I don't trust them now to get out whatever he can get out of this team, particularly without their best player, like, you're going to bring in Fred, you know, they haven't played Fred all year, Lukaku didn't start, and I have to mention, like, when, when Lingard and Martial went out, that substitution of Alexis Sanchez and Juan Mata on the wings, what was that? Like, how how was that going to be effective in any way? I mean, maybe that's all he had, but it was like, all right, Juan Mata against <laughs> Kipembe? Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? So it's like, all right, just throw it, throw it out there. This is all we got. But yeah, this team is different. So it's, 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 it's accumulation of, um, the fact that they don't have their best creators and then the fact that PSG are just mentally stronger than they, they've been in the past and they're not going to let this one slip up. Like there's too much on the line. Yeah. And we're about 52 minutes in. I want to talk about United and, and I said this and I want to do a little gloating. So I'm going to do a little gloating here. I, I, I said it in the, I said it in the small talk, in the PSG talking that I was, uh, that I was fortunate to be on with Guillaume and, and Matt Gooding that I was the most confident of the three. And I, I, I called what United did a magic trick. And I want to expand on that a little bit for the maybe a couple of Manchester United fans that might want to be, uh, want to, I guess, have a, a pension for pain and want to listen to our show and, and how we talk about <laughs> Particularly their, this one. <laughs> yeah, how, how we talk about their team. Yeah. But let's be very, very clear here. 
what they did was a magic trick. And the magic trick was to take the heat off of their, um, to take the heat off of their, uh, sporting director, whatever we want to call him, Ed Woodward. That's what the goal was here. Because Man United was struggling. They looked like garbage under Mourinho. The players were actively revolting. And that was one of the problems. But the second problem was an Ed Woodward problem. The players weren't good enough. And just say picked a lot of those players, but Ed Woodward allowed him to pick off those players. Ed Woodward signed Jose Mourinho to begin with. Ed Woodward gave Jose Mourinho a contract extension, which meant that they would have to pay Jose Mourinho 19.5 million euros to just go away and sit on the couch or go do uh, guest commentary for the Russian feeds of the... Or, or go fall, or I don't know if you guys see this, he, he went to go drop up a, a ceremonial puck over in Russia for yes. a hockey game, and he slipped and fell. It's, it's yeah, funny so. how, how, how uh, Jose Mourinho just always ends up in Russia somehow. <laughs> but yeah, like, they're literally paying Jose Mourinho 19.5 million euros to go away and never be heard from in their parts again. Like, that's how big of a mistake Ed Woodward made. So now, Ed Woodward is the face of this calamity of picking Jose Mourinho as the coach, letting him buy all of these average players, benching Paul Pogba for weeks on end. And the magic trick was, let's bring in a guy who's not going to challenge my authority, but is also going to bring some of the romanticism back to all of this. A uh, guy who has a wonderful smile. He has... A strong personality. People like him. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the, those players back to a place where they could compete for top four in the Champions League. And that is not nothing. That is something. Sure. But then to turn that into they're the favorites to beat PSG was a step way too far. And it was always a step way too far. And I think that it almost is an insult to what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has actually done, which is save this team from being out of the top six and maybe missing Europe altogether. Now they at least have a shot at going to the Champions League again. So give Ole credit for that. And that should be all the credit he gets, and it's all he really deserves. But, you know what, that's fair. But then to throw him in this game and expect him to make, or expect him to go step for step with Tomas Tuchel, who's just an infinitely better coach than him, because, again, we're forgetting, where was this guy before he got this job? That's not a rhetorical question. You guys can answer that anytime. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Zero. I don't know. He was in Norway. I was like, oh, God. He was I don't in, know. No, was, he, he, he was in Norway. He was managing in Norway. So, to think that they just got... Again, if you are the next great coaching genius, you are not coaching in Norway. You are coaching... 
in a, a legitimate top five European league. Like, to think that they were just going to get this guy from Norway, and it's nothing against Norway. Norway's probably a lovely, lovely place. But that's not where all the great managing minds go to manage teams. You know what I mean? Like, if they, if there was a, if he was marked to be this great manager, he would have been this great manager by now. Always in his fifties at this point. So, to think that he was going to come in and outmanage Tomas Tuchel and bring this team to like the highest depths, it just wasn't going to happen. And I, I just felt like, this magic trick was infuriating too because it's like it's also intellectually dishonest in that it's pretty clear that we all knew where this was you know we all knew that he wasn't gonna like we all pretty much were clear that he wasn't gonna be able to do this yet we still tried to convince everybody that he could which again it's just nonsense I'm I'm rambling yeah, now any, I any mean, guys no, want to add about no, no. United's performance the coach all that yeah uh, I agree there there was I think the last two or three weeks where we saw PSG kind of slip up a little bit uh, that's when a lot of the British media outlets um, started vamping up this United can you know it's all equal now uh, and we saw tweets etc you know, I think I saw one from Goal saying, you know, Tuco or, or whatever, PSG, they're afraid of Paul Pogba, they're afraid, you know, they're not going to be looking forward to playing him. You know, he got shut down. It's just, I don't know if it's just the fan base, the media, or a combination of both that, you know, gets loud and loud and loud and, and um, you know, rationality, you know, goes by the wayside. But, you know, we, like I think the title of this podcast should be, you know, they got a reality check. Every, you know, person that wanted that was rooting for United, either whether they're a fan or they just dislike PSG, you know, they got a reality check that, you know, PSG for the first time, and I think in the QSI era, they're mentally tough, and they, you know, they got a coach that can tactically outcoach another, you know, Premier League coach, can make adjustments on the fly. And isn't afraid to experiment because he has the trust of his players. I don't want to get ahead of myself and start talking about um, start talking about quarterfinals because that would be that would be a gross uh, misstep on my part and our part. Yeah. But what I want to have the conversation I want to have is we've all sort of agreed that. United were not the team that I think they were being made out to be over the last couple of weeks, and that they are more like the team they were in December than the team they were in early February. And PSG are doing what they really should do, which is beat a team that they're better than in Champions League. That's what they should be doing. And if they somehow blow this lead, it would be an embarrassment in the sense that, yeah, clearly... They're the better team, and if they blew a 2-0 lead in a tie at home, that would be an indictment of a lot of things. But we're not talking about that, because it's more likely than not not going to happen. But you can't just say it's already won. PSG still has to do the job. And I don't think this is a team that's going to overlook United. I don't think they're, I think they've gotten into a, a mode where 
They're going to take all of these Champions League games like their finals. They're going to treat them like their finals. They're going to play them like their finals. And they'll deal with the consequences later. And maybe they won't perform as well in League Gun as they could, but they have enough of a lead where they'll be able to probably hang on. And it's more important for this team to make a statement in the Champions League. If they're not going to win it, it's about making a statement that they have the ability in the future to win it. As opposed to in years before where it was PSG are these pretenders that are trying to buy their way into contention, but they don't have that something extra. If they show they have that something extra, even if they don't win it this year, it'll be a real statement to the future and what they can do. Now, my question in all of that is, if they draw, let's say they draw either a Barcelona or a Juventus or a Bayern in the quarterfinal, are we at the point now where we can say that they may not be the favorites for those ties, but we can't look at it and say, oh, well, they definitely should lose. Like, are they at that point where we're closing that gap? Maybe even that mentality gap more than that uh, skill gap. So, again, it's sort of a weird, it's a weird, long-worded question, but John, do you think PSG's mentality has gotten to a point where they can now go into ties with Bayern and Juventus and Barcelona and not be mentally overwhelmed? Or is that still to be determined? No, I think more so than anything, it's it's been it was determined uh, in the Liverpool matches or in the group stage, I should say. Uh, I think yes, we've crossed over that threshold. I think is for me the word that would kind of um, identify that circumstances. They 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 went through that threshold where if we do draw one of the big teams, it's not like oh shit, like here we go again. Like yeah. no, this is different because. Again, like we, uh, you know, we, we, we can look at how Juventus and Barcelona and Real Madrid and how they're doing, and that will be a problem. This is why United got beaten the way they did because they underestimated us. And I, and I, I know that's kind of difficult to understand when PSG are the better, better team. They underestimated us because of the circumstances we're in. So if you're paying attention to how these other teams form is prior to that game, You'll get lost in the sauce per se and, and lose sight of what's important and you being tactically sound and taking care of your, handling your business. So I, I think it, it starts from the Champions League and it's kind of been a fascinating trajectory that I've watched this team go through and they've really grown up in our eyes, right? It's like, it's like watching your little brother or something kind of just grow up like from that first Liverpool match where you know, particularly Marquinhos, right? Marquinhos is kind of the reason we lost that match. He didn't really defend Firmino the way he, he he got turned, he got spun around, right? And for him to now be at a point where he locks down one of the best midfielders in the world, that's a that's a growth. That's for me, and, and that and that kind of shows where this team is is where everyone just is battle is battle tested. All those group stage matches is why PSG are in the position they are in. Now, uh, today, it's kind of like, it was, it's, um, it's, you know, we, we, at the time the draws came out, we were like, oh man, this is going to be a tough, a tough group. But in, in the end, it really benefited us for, for the better because it, it allowed us to play big teams in the group stages. 
it allowed us to be to just struggle. And you know, that's that's the thing that we've been that we as PSG fans and outsiders are always going back to is PSG is not tested in league uh, and all of that nonsense. But no, we got tested in the Champions League against big teams, even against Red Star, who never lost at their at their place, and we were able to handle them easily. So I, I think. Yes, um, I guess to answer your question, like, yeah, I think PSG have surpassed that threshold where we're not the underdogs, per se. Like, this is a like-for-like, you know, us against Barcelona, us against Juventus, Real Madrid, or Bayern. Anyone can win that game. It's going to be about who's going to be better on the day. And I think more so than anything, that's that's where we are as PSGs. If we lose, it's going to be – if we we lose because – the, the better team beat us and not because we beat ourselves. And yeah. I, I, I tend to think that we have crossed that line, but I think there is another line that I'm not sure we've crossed yet. And go back to the first, the 6-1 or the game, the first leg against Real Madrid last year or even going back 13-14, those games against Barcelona and Chelsea. Champions League winning teams have that other gear that you can reach that other gear and take over a game and just execute better than the other team. And last year, PSG for 80 minutes played Real Madrid basically evenly in the sense that they stalemated them enough where they could have gotten out of that tie 1-1 going into the Parc des Princes, which would have been a victory. But the last 10 minutes, Real Madrid turned it up, and PSG couldn't keep up. Eddie, I still don't know, with Marquinhos as a kind of makeshift midfielder, with some still younger guys in that lineup that haven't totally been in these situations before, I'm not sure if PSG, and especially if Neymar, well, we'll talk about him in the next sort of thing we'll talk about, if he's not necessarily 100% in those quarterfinal games, if PSG have that gear, they may have the mentality down, but do they have that gear that those great teams can get to? I, a, little, a little bit of me still says no, just because I haven't seen, like, we, we saw against Liverpool um, and Napoli, and, you know, to lesser extent, Red Star, that that whole group stage did test us mentally. Yeah. But they never go got that. Adversity. They never hit that gear. You you know the gear yeah. when you see it. Yeah, yeah. Where I, I remember last year in the first leg against Real Madrid, where you know, like you said, first eighty minutes of the match, it was even, and then Zidane makes the the substitutions, um, throwing in Lucas Vasquez, and that's you know, and you know that's when you know Real Madrid in the final ten minutes or so added you know put in two goals um, to pretty much ice the game. And that's that's what I want to see. I want to see, I guess, PSG go for the, you know, sl- you know don't, yeah, how would I say it? Just go for the kill. Yeah. Don't, you know, that that step on the opponent's throat, you know, match. You, where, you seize the game. Yeah. Like you, that's, that's, it, it's, that, it's that year where the game is even, and then all of a sudden you just turn it to that level where you control it, and the other team just can't get there with you. And that's where I still think we still have to see if this team can do that. 
And yeah. John, I, I, I asked that same thing to you. Are you, do you think they have that gear yet? Because I don't think I've seen it necessarily. They've had really great spells of play, which I think is a different thing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's to be determined. I, I, I don't I don't know because we've never experienced this as a, as a, as a club. Like I don't know if that's something that's going to be transparent. Like if we're going to gauge it from what we've seen thus far, or uh, or definitely definitely not from from league M matches unless we're playing like the Leon or. Or a tougher opponent, yeah. so I, like I, I don't know. It, like I, I'm like you know, you, you can be optimistic, you can be pessimistic about it, but I, I really don't know if we have that gear. But and I know exactly what gear you're talking about. It's it's like we're better than you, and we're gonna sh- prove to you that we're better than you through 90 minutes of play and just execution and and, and extreme focus throughout the game, and then that gear we've yet to see. But I mean, if you, if, if you want to look at it, like from what we've seen thus far, if we're using that as an example, they're, they're at least working towards that, yeah. right? And they're at least working towards that, that way. Yeah. And they've shown it defensively. Like they've yeah. shown that defensively yeah. they can shut a team down and just completely close off the game. What I'm talking about is tied 1-1, tied nil-nil, games just sort of sitting there for somebody to win it. And. Yeah offensively you're able to reach that next level. And I don't think they can do that without Neymar. And that's where we talk about the Neymar discussion. There is uh, optimism that he could be back in training, preparing to play games as early as mid-March, which is about a month from when we're recording this. He's been out since late January at this point. And the... He did not opt for surgery. He opted for the German rich plasma treatment where you, you take out red blood cells, you subtif- you, uh, you centrifuge them, you clean them out, and then you re-inject them into the spot of the injury to help the healing. Which is probably smart because it's kind of hard to have two, uh, screws in your foot, especially in your small toe, and expect to sort of be the same kind of player. So I agree with the way of treatment, and it seems like that treatment is working. And he's obviously not going to be ready for the the second leg, and I'm not sure we're going to need him. This quarterfinals, though, if it's Barcelona, if it's Real Madrid, if it's Bayern Munich, they're going to need Neymar. And my question is, do you think that with Neymar coming back, with Cavani probably coming back by March. It's a, probably the latest. I don't think he's that injured that he still needs that time to recover with these muscle injuries. Is this, and this is almost a feel kind of question. If they have those guys back, is there a chance? Like, is there a chance that just, that this is starting to go PSG's way and that you're going and they, that they can make a run at this? You talked about if they can get to that other gear, but yeah. can they make a run at this? Is this, and I, I'm not going to ask the dumb question of do they need Neymar to make a run? Yeah, of course they do. But if they get these guys back and they're starting to get guys healthy at the right time and it's April and May, hmm, yeah. does, it, does it cross your mind? Yeah, for me it does. Um, especially now that it looks like, um, 
they're going to get by United. Um, I just checked 538 has them at a 90% chance of, of getting through. And, and I'm not, not, again, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse here, but it also will depend who they draw. You know, I think last year we saw Liverpool get some luck, but I don't think PSG is going to get that kind of luck. Um, but I, I think everyone healthy, everyone clicking, I think, you know, they can make a run at this. I mean, I at least want semifinals. I, I want to get past that quarterfinals, and whether it be, you know, Barcelona, Real, Juve, or whoever, I think, at the very least, PSG can put up a puncher's chance. You know, whether that's good enough will will be determined to see how everyone's playing at that time, but if they can get past these quarterfinals... If they can get past this round of 16 game... Yeah, they can get past this round of 16. They can they can make a run. I think they can make a run. John? Yeah, abs- uh, well, I'm not going to say absolutely, but I think it's more so than uh, nobody wants to face this PSG team is what I'll say. I think we've at least kind of set that standard, right? Like, this is like if you're one of the big clubs, like you don't want to face PSG. Like legitimately, you don't want to face us right now. When we're at a hundred percent, when you've seen what we can do without our main two goal scorers, you know what I mean. And and then when the 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 potential of getting them back, like yeah, you don't want to you don't want to face us like that. That's a scary or, or a daunting opposition that can that can go in the opposite direction of what you want. Uh, but you know, as as far as like, do we have the, the abilities just man for man? Uh, the 11 players on the pitch. Yes, we do have it. And it has crossed my mind every, every day. It crosses my mind that we can be Champions League winners and, and or get to the finals this season. Uh, I absolutely believe that because of, you know, just again, everything we've talked about thus far. And yes, we will need Neymar to be there. And, you know, that came up too. Like, um, uh, I think I heard it from TNT broadcasters, the Bleacher Report people. I heard it on ESPN FC. I heard it from BT Sport. They were like, well, does PSG need Neymar? <laughs> they did. I'm like, are you serious? Like, listen to yourself. Like, yes, we need them. Don't, don't, don't play yourself. Because if Neymar played in that, in that game, it would have been like 6-7-0. Like, let's be clear about that. Yeah. But, um, but yes, I, I think, I, <laughs> again, and I, and I just kind of spoke about how, you know, you don't want to kind of compare forms, you know, that more so to the players. But me as a fan, yes, I can look at the form of a Barcelona and uh, a Real Madrid and Juventus and there's there's, there's not a, a that that large gap, right? And, and and obviously things have to fall in place. Like I don't know if y'all just saw Sergio Ramos is about to get banned because he deliberately tried to get a yellow card so he can miss a certain game foreseeing that they'll be in the later stages of the Champions League. So he's trying to force the situation. We don't want to do that. Where, But we have to worry about yellow cards from Verratti and Draxler and Kerr. Like, all those things go into play. And, and I think more so than anything, that's what I would be worried about. But, uh, you know, you have to have some sort of luck in this thing. And like I said throughout this whole episode, like, we're getting luck and, and, and chances and situations going for us. Uh, when they normally don't, and and, and and that's more so like a spiritual thing. Like you, you want to look at it that way. It's like 
the universe is kind of <laughs> in it's PSG's uh, fortune right now. It's, a, it's been a very weird season. Yes. In that, yes. They're, they're, it's weird. Like, they're dominatingly good, but they're not, like, dominating, dominatingly good. Like, yeah. they're having these games that, like, tom- tomorrow's game against Saint-Étienne, they're probably going to struggle a little bit. Yeah. And people are going to look at it and go, well, Saint-Étienne probably outplayed them for stretches. I'm, I'm just assuming that. And you're going to listen to this after that game, so um, I might be right, I might be wrong, but historically, PSG has struggled in league on after major Champions League fixtures. That's just how it's been. But I'm I'm of the mindset that this, this team knows what it's doing more than other teams have. Like, this team knows what it is doing. And this coach knows what it's doing. The players know what they're doing. And I generally have an optimistic view that even if they don't win the Champions League, even if they lose in the quarterfinals, I don't think it's going to be this, like, oh my goodness, they choked again, or they're not living up to their potential, or blah, blah, blah. It's okay, like, only one team wins the Champions League. It's not like five teams win the thing. One team wins it. And there are a lot of great teams that lose in Champions League quarterfinals, lose in Champions League semifinals, but you want them to lose because the other team was better and that you felt like they were in a game, they were in the tie the whole way, certain things maybe don't go your way. That's just how this works. It's the hardest competition to win. So it's not... It's no one's birthright to win the Champions League. Real Madrid made it look easy, but that took years and years of effort to do and years and years of effort to put themselves in those spots but yeah go ahead yeah i wanted to say but that's that's, if anything a doubt for me would be like like you just mentioned real madrid there's familiarity there right like they've been together for a long time where like we're talking about possibly getting neymar back and possibly getting kamani back we haven't seen this psg at full strength for long stretches of time, is what I'm saying, kind of. Yeah. And, and, you know, Real Madrid, you know, you knew that Ronaldo, Benzema, and Bale, or Isco, and you knew it was Cross, Casemiro, and, and, uh, and Luka Modric. You know what I mean? And, and that, that goes a long way, that familiarity of having your strongest 11 for long, for long stretches of, of matches leading up to a Champions League run is important. And that may be where PSG happened because obviously Neymar has been injured uh, in the past two seasons. And uh, I just like to, to sort of, we'll, we'll cap this show off with what is, um, what is going to be happening the next sort of three, we're about two and a half weeks away from the second leg. And that's what PSG should be building to. Nothing, no looking ahead of March 6th. So we have Saint Etienne tomorrow on the road. Um, which will be actually, which will have already happened by the time you listen to this. Um, and I'll probably have an intro where I recap that match a little bit and then throw to this. Um, then they have Montpellier in a makeup game from the beginning of the year. Um, Nimes on the next Saturday, the French Cup quarterfinal against Dijon at home, and then they get caught on the road the Saturday before that Wednesday, March 6th. So they have five games before the second leg to 
work on things, to rest people, to get their lineup set. What are you guys looking for in the next five games from this team to show you that they're ready and that they're focused and that they're, you know, that they're fully 100% ready to take on the second leg of the round of 16? Uh, for me, it's just continuing what they're doing. Um, I want to see Paredes get more reps, get more familiarity with the team. I mean, he's, they're getting, you know, comfortable outside the pitch. But, you know, Verratti, you know, we saw him go out with the, I'm not sure if it's a serious injury or not. That can, can lag. Yeah. Uh, um, he won't but, play, he won't, know, I, so, I'm pretty sure he won't play against Sint at the end tomorrow, but. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he's okay. I think the, I think yeah. he's just a little not, why not, you know, he was, remember he was coming off anyway. Paredes yeah. was ready to go immediately, so. Yeah, and he worked his tail off that game, yeah. so he was probably run out yeah. of gas. So yeah. I think Paredes will get a lot of time here in the next five yeah. games to, but go ahead, Eddie. But I think Paredes yeah. will get so, some time. Yeah, so I'm interested in seeing on how he, he integrates because I think our biggest, um, strength is our depth, that we can rotate players in and out. Um, and, you know, use the tactics to, to complement all of them. And so I'm just interested in seeing how he, you know, integrates into the lineup now, now that he'll have, um, a couple more games under his belt. And, and just, you know, hoping everyone to stay healthy. <laughs> That's the only two things I'm looking forward to, uh, during these next five matches. John. Yeah, I, I'm, I would have to uh, agree with what Eddie's talking about in terms of just rotation for me is important. Uh, that's one thing I've been kind of, um, not, not really iffy on Tuchel, but just like one of the things I've noticed he's done, like he's, he's played a strong lineup, particularly in all the matches. The, maybe the match, the last game before the Champions League is probably the weakest lineup I've seen him play. Uh, if you're not, if you're not counting in early in the season when everybody was coming back from the World Cup. But, um, you know, I feel like Verratti, we need to rest him a lot. In, in however many matches we have leading up to that second leg. And it's important to kind of understand that these, I'm pretty sure the coaches, the coaching staff looks at the things between uh, a certain amount of matches, those gaps, and they strategize how we're going to do between these matches. And they have, this is an important one because they can easily uh, let off, let their foot off the brakes and, and, and go out there against United and, and put on a bad performance and possibly still win, but not play convincingly. And that's what, and I think he came out today in the press conference and said, we can't, you know what I mean? We can't look at it like it's, it's over and done. Like we still have work to do. And I think that's important for him to instill into the team and, and, and make them understand that there's still work to be done. But for me, more so than anything, rotation and yes, letting Paredes get that game time, rest Juan Bernat, you know, put Cozal in there, all of those things just to get, just to get our main guys Ready for that stretch that's going to come after uh, we, we we get we get past this this United team. I'm looking forward to yeah what you guys were talking about. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Paredes get more involved. I have a feeling like Paredes is a guy who I'm not sure he's great coming off the bench. Like he's he, yeah. he that's not his skill. His skill set is sort of setting tempo in a game more than sort of coming on and changing one. But I think he's going to serve a good purpose here in these league on games. I think he should play most of, if not all of them at this point. Yeah. Like, hit, play him with Verratti, play him with Marquinhos, play him with Draxler, 
let him just get familiar with those guys and let him get into the rhythm of what they're trying to do. Um, I say the more Musa Diaby, the better. I think he's, he has to be more involved in these league gun matches, especially now if they do advance that they're going to need to do even more sort of rotation during the end of the year, March in, you know, April, May. So they're going to really need to have him be an effective league gun player for them. And besides that, it's just, Again, you can't, you can't put people in bubble wrap. Like, I know there's a lot of people on Twitter. It's like, oh, we have to rest everybody and we can't have any, like, you, you have to give people rest, but it, these are, these are millionaires. Like, these are millionaire yeah. athletes. Like, yeah. part of their job, and I, I don't mean this as sort of a, a stupid thing for me to say, but part of being a millionaire athlete is Staying healthy, or as healthy as you can stay. Some things are out of your control. You you know, you're not gonna. The, what's what are the odds of breaking the fifth metatarsal in your in your foot twice in a year? Like, so, what is, you know? But like muscular injuries, like those are things that are preventable if you're training right, yeah. if you're exercising right. And I look at it like you're gonna have to be in there. You can't just play a, you can't play an amateur team out there. You gotta play your players. You pay them money. You pay them to be there and play. So it's about being smart, not taking any stupid, unnecessary risks or challenges in certain situations. Understanding the game you're in and not, or in trying to stay as healthy as possible. So we've talked for a long time. I think we needed to. I think this is a lot to unpack in this really, Fun week here. Um, five weeks until, sorry, not five weeks. What am I talking about? Five games until the second leg where PSG will have a chance to advance to their first quarterfinals since 2016. So, um, make sure to follow PSG Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to our podcast, PSG Talking, which will have a new episode coming up pretty much right after this one. So, if you want to listen to three hours or so of Manchester United PSG review, this is the place to go. Um, look out for my PSG talking shows. Um, we'll probably have one, probably have a couple of them before the Manchester United second leg. And, um, go to psgtalk.com for articles, um, from me, Eddie, John, anybody else at our site that writes. Um, We'll probably have, you'll probably have a couple of things, you guys. You, you guys are prolific when it comes to actually writing stuff. I'm going to try to do a Di Maria piece at some point. Um, probably within this week since I have teacher vacation, so I'll have plenty of time to write it. Um, <laughs> so what's, uh, you guys make your plugs. Um, and by the way, before you make your plugs, uh, visit our Patreon page. Give us some money to help us with some expenses, and we'll give you a nice T-shirt. We are the Farmers League champions. We don't shy away from that. And no, sir. The way we're going right now, we'd probably be the Premier League champions as well. (laughs) But all right, so just talk about what you guys are working on. My Twitter is at MarkDamon1. What is your Twitter handles, and um, what are you guys maybe working on for the future? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, Twitter. My Twitter is uh, Eddie nineteen ninety one Razo. Um, I'm I'm juggling two pieces. One is a Juan Bernat 
feature piece, I guess if you want to call it. And the other one is more complex that I'm, that I'm, you know, working with Ed. Um, I have his, his, uh, ear on it. Um, for the last couple of, um, games or like specifically this, this, uh, season, we've seen, I mean, for not PSG supporters, but, you know, for the casual fan, they're seeing the PSG ultras. Um, I'm, I'm trying to do more of a piece that hits on the, you know, the, the cult, the history and the fan culture. I mean, Mark, you were at the, you did the podcast with the PSG fan club, New York. And, that was and a just fantastic to, show, by yeah, the way, too. And, yeah. And yeah. And, you know, PSG gets this notion, you know, this notion that, oh, it's a club with no history or, uh, fake or plastic fans. So I'm trying to work on a, a really long feature piece that I'm hoping won't take more than a month and a half on it. I'm going to try to reach out to some of the, PSG fan clubs. Um, I have some of their emails, so I already started working on it. Just like the introduction, all that good stuff. I'm hoping to do some interviews uh, or make some contact or contact for some interviews. So I'm hoping to put this piece together hopefully by next month. Oh, sounds like fun, John. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm currently working on uh, on something on all kind of. I spoke about it earlier in the episode. Uh, just Marquinhos's. 2016 to, to that Manchester United match where like won the world, uh, won the, the, not the, I think it was the Olympics, uh, with Brazil, had a baby. He was, you know, lined up to, he, he was kind of on the way to starting in the World Cup next to Thiago Silva and Jao Miranda from Inter ended up getting that Tite. Tite ended up choosing him over Marquinhos and Marquinhos didn't. Didn't pout, didn't, you know, he didn't, as we know Marquinhos to be this very humble guy, but he's so fascinating to watch how humble he is, yet he's such a, an extremely talented, uh, intellectually smart football player. And just going from, from, from that time and, and, you know, having a baby, winning the Olympic, uh, with Brazil, losing uh, the starting spot in the World Cup, and, Losing, not losing his position, but being challenged to play a different position, uh, and the way he's handled it, uh, up to the performance he put up, uh, against Paul Pogba, kind of just give, contextualize his kind of last two seasons for him. So that's what I'm working on right now. And hopefully, uh, once NBA All-Star is over, uh, I'll get that uh, done this week. All right. So for Eduardo Razo and John Olangi, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.